Today on CityCast Boise, this has been one of the deadliest years on the road in Ada County. So are Boise streets designed only for drivers? Road safety advocate Don Kostelik is here to help us understand why these tragic accidents are happening and what steps officials should take to make our roads safer for everyone. It's Monday, August 28th. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise's talking about. Hi, Don. Welcome to CityCast Boise. Hey, hello. How's it going? It's going well. We're kind of kindred spirits here. You also consider yourself an avid walker. But what does that look like for you? Do you feel safe walking around downtown Boise? Um, Well, I call myself an avid walker. It's definitely a commentary on we hear a lot or we'll see a lot of somebody called an avid cyclist. But we never hear an avid motorist, an avid trucker or anything else. So I kind of tongue in cheek say I've been walking since the age of one. Since people (laughs) like to say they've been bicycling since the age of one or whatever. Um, In terms of walking at a place like downtown Boise, in terms of the downtown part. uh, Sure, I think for the most part, it's definitely one of the safer parts of our region. Are there things that could be better? Absolutely. And we've certainly had some higher profile Uh, unfortunate deaths recently, but those are more on what I would call the fringes of downtown that don't have some of the features and things that make downtown proper, say, a more safer place to walk than some other parts of our city. Yeah, I live over in West Boise, which is uh, not great for walking. And I grew up over here, never has been. They've made some improvements on like Maple Grove and stuff, but still not, not all of the city is super walkable. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I agree. One, we still have a lot of major streets, Franklin, Orchard, parts of Overland, Chinden, that uh, Broadway, that don't even have sidewalks. So we don't even have the basics on a lot of our streets. And I critique that by saying, you know, we're widening roads in West Ada County for motorists that won't exist until the year 2045 but we're somehow struggling to get sidewalks and safe crossings for people that exist today. And I think that's a challenge across our country as a whole, especially outside the cores of our major metropolitan cities themselves. Uh, Boise's very much outside of downtown and a couple of neighborhoods, more suburban in nature than it is urban. And that's really when we look at national pedestrian and bicyclist safety issues, those are where the challenges generally pop up and occur uh, as opposed to our downtown settings. Yeah, you know, you mentioned safety. It made me think of at a press conference recently, Ada County Highway District Commissioner uh, Alexis Pickering acknowledged that this year so far has already been one of the deadliest for the county. What do you think is the number one reason we're seeing so many pedestrian and cyclist road accidents? Well, in the country as a whole, we've seen more than a doubling of pedestrian deaths in the United States since 2009. So it's a trend we've seen that as the research is being done, one, like I said, most of the places where these things are occurring are in these more suburban areas where, to put it bluntly, we've engineered the roads and intersections to promote motorist speed and motorist convenience. And that all of a sudden creates an impact when it comes to safety of those that aren't driving. Uh, Combined with that has been just the increase in mass and size of our vehicle fleet. If I'm hit, say, by a Toyota Camry or a a Honda Civic, 
I'm getting hit in the lower extremities. Chances are I would go up as a pedestrian on top of the vehicle. But when I'm getting hit, or especially a child is getting hit by an SUV or a pickup truck, it's hitting them in the vital organs and pulling them under. And so that's kind of the multifaceted uh, piece of that, that at least the science and the research is telling us is this compounding factor. So when you look at where and how many of these accidents have happened this year, what patterns are you seeing? I think if we look like year over year, we tend to get in too much horse race coverage um, because there, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies there. Uh, what I tend to look at and what the profession is looking at is not only the fatalities, which certainly those are the most high profile, but we also have a lot of what we would call severe or disabling injury crashes. We might go, oh, well, at least the person lived, but it's usually a life altering event. Their life is never the same. And if we combine those two and we look over a five-year period of time in Ada County, I don't even need a roadmap to show me where the high-speed five-lane arterial roadways are. The pedestrian and bicyclist crash patterns, as well as the motorist crash patterns for those, tell us where those are. And something I think that gets lost in this discussion a lot is the streets that are also unsafe for walking and biking also have features that make it less safe for people driving. And so that's why when we improve certain features for one, we will improve it all because it all comes back to an issue of speed. So what do you think the city of Boise and Ada County Highway, Highway District need to do to address this? Like, in your opinion, are they doing enough? I think what you saw the press conference, I mean, Commissioner Pickering has been such a sea of change to kind of tilt the ACHD commission in a way to look at this differently. And certainly what's happening now is really good. It was a little frustrating to see Chief Weininger with the city going, I think this is an issue of personal responsibility. Mm. And that's very much an old school way of thinking. And countries that are doing a lot better than this, than we are, have realized that's kind of a straw man argument out there. Education and enforcement doesn't work when the road system is made to such a degree that even minor mistakes lead to deaths and disabling injuries. And so when we see a high profile death like one at 11th and State and the Boise High student at 16th and, and Washington, these are predictable. And instead of just focusing on the locations where they happen, we need to identify other locations where that could happen tomorrow. And that's an uphill battle. You know, I, I don't envy them for trying to do it but the fact that we're having a conversation is different than two years ago, five years ago, 15 years ago. I love what you said about the personal responsibility uh, piece being a straw man. But then I want to ask you then, who is responsible for these deaths and injuries ultimately? It's a multi-pronged system. I use the phrase that even the best and most comprehensive education or enforcement only impacts a fraction of our road users, a fraction of the time, whereas the design of the road influences 100% of the road users 100% of the time. And if we look at countries like Sweden and Finland and the Netherlands to realize how they had traffic death rates in the 70s that were similar to the US, and now they're half of what we are, they've realized humans will always make mistakes. We must design a system that when those mistakes do happen, the results are not fatal or disabling. We want a fender bender. We want a person on a bike just getting bumped and falling over. 
rather than being thrown a few hundred yards or pulled under a vehicle. Do you have specific solutions you think could help? We have several of them. If we look at what especially Capital City Development Corporation has been spearheading and financing downtown with the assistance of ACHD and the city of Boise, things like a bike lane that's protected from moving traffic versus a bike lane that's just on a high speed road. Things what we call curb extensions or neck downs, where we have on-street parking that increase the pedestrian's visibility and reduce their risk, but also have an influence on slowing speed. Um, if you go out to the intersection of um, 6th and the Basque Block, you will find what's called a raised intersection that slows vehicles down. And certainly the stuff ACHD has been working on with traffic signal programming. For example, if you're at a flashing yellow arrow and a pedestrian's there and pushes the button, the driver doesn't get that arrow. They get a red arrow so the pedestrian can more safely cross. So if we were to take all of these different things of, of roundabouts and other stuff we would call speed management and make that fully what we designed for, fully what we required of new development, and we started retroactively fixing um, a lot of the streets that lack those things, I think we would find more dramatic changes. And that's that's in the model of what those European countries I listed have done. You know, in some ways, it seems like things should be getting better. Like we have more protected bike lanes than ever. You know, we have more accessible sidewalks than we used to. Why is it getting, why does it seem like it's getting worse right now? If we think system-wide versus location-specific, we can start to parse that out. For example, Whitewater Park Boulevard between uh, State Street and the main and Fairview couplet there by Simplot Park. If we go back, um, it's been a couple years, but I looked at the last several years of crash data for that. That section has not had a severe or fatal crash. And if we think about the features it has, it has roundabouts. Roundabouts manage the functional speed of vehicles coming through them naturally. It has more frequent pedestrian crossings. It has complete pedestrian facilities. It has medians. So you can't, a drunk driver can't kill someone in a head-on crash because you can't have a head-on crash in those situations. If we were to redo it today, we would rebuild it with um, some protected bike lanes, but we also have the green belt and some other routes there. So in terms of like locally, as an example, if most of our streets had those features, we might not be in the same, in the same situation we're at today with this, this very notable crisis. Boise just went back to school and I have a, a teenager who just started high school and he wanted to ride his bike to school. And I know how ridiculous this sounds, but I was like, no, absolutely not. You're going to have to take the bus. I'm sorry, because I didn't want him crossing Overland and Cole. Uh, oh, yeah. Such a big, messy, scary intersection. And we just had that death of the Boise High student. And I was like, nope, sorry, bud. You are Riding the bus, even if it makes me feel like I'm being a little ridiculous, but how would you grade our crosswalks and buses and how we protect our, the, our kids on the way to school? Am I wrong? Am I overreacting or am I right to <laughs> no, be worried? No, no, no. I mean, that that's, that's the classic intersection that has so many conflicts and high speed and vehicle volumes that, that makes it uh, at first intimidating, which is what uh, creates confusion and creates errors. But the fear you have is very real. Uh, I think we tend to do a good job in the immediate school area 
of looking at things like crossings and crosswalks and crossing guards and speed limit enforcement. But really, in a lot of places, you could go a third of a mile, a quarter mile from the school, and you'll find situations where parents aren't all that in, inclined to let them do that. And that's understandable. So when we look at something like a crosswalk at a school, well, we've got cameras on buses for drivers that run the bus stop sign and we can enforce that. Why don't we have cameras at school crosswalks that do the same thing, especially in a city like Boise, where we do tend to have a little bit higher rate of people walking or bicycling to school than we have in some other areas. Uh, I think in Boise, we have many more neighborhood schools, which certainly makes that a lot more conducive and a lot more willingness for parents to allow that to happen. But as you work your way elsewhere in this valley, we have what we call big box schools that are very large, are on busy arterials, and are not in those situations. And we don't tend to look at those trade-offs very much. Does equity factor in with this problem? I'm thinking, like you said, of some of these big box schools uh, in some of our poorer neighborhoods. Oh, it, it definitely does. In Idaho, we don't have data on things like the race of a person who's involved in a traffic crash. But I know from doing works in other states, and I would almost be willing to bet in Idaho, if we were to look at the uh, number of people that are, say, Hispanic or Latino that are killed as pedestrians, it would, it would most certainly be an overrepresentation as it relates to the population. I look at a city like Garden City and see that we don't even have crosswalks or safe crossings of Chindon Boulevard. With a school right next to it, too. With a school, as well as not just answer charter school, but kids mm -hmm. that live in Garden City are attending schools elsewhere. And if you're in a socioeconomic situation, even if you can be bused, that doesn't mean that that's always occurring. Uh, what about participating in an after-school program? And the list goes on and on. The reason I bring up Chindon as an example is if you go out to the Chindon section in Meridian that's just been widened, they have a brand new, beautiful, separated pathway on the side of Chindon where all the subdivisions exist. And we certainly are looking at houses out there that are probably anywhere from a half million to a million dollars. Same road, Chindon, and because it was widened many years ago, the state basically tells Garden City, you're on your own if you want sidewalks. So here's Meridian, much higher income, uh, much more well-off, getting this free, wonderful pathway. And Garden City, all 12,000 people are told, if you want $30 million worth of sidewalks on Chinden, you have to go pay for it yourself. But I think as we talk about the city and ACHD, our, our state transportation department is really where the biggest challenges exist, not only here in our region, but statewide. So as Boise continues to grow and our roads see more and more traffic, how do you think we balance the needs of people who walk and bike with people who drive? Let's talk about needs for a second and, and see what that is. Is the need for safety or is the need for convenience? And I'll go back to Chindon Boulevard. When we look at Chinden and we look at the average speeds on Chinden, especially in our peak hours where we have that most vehicular demand, those vehicles aren't coming anywhere close to averaging the speed limit. So if we try to act that making more crossings or more frequent crossings or slower speeds or safer conditions for people who walk and bike is somehow going to be catastrophic to the driving environment, the drivers are doing that for themselves 
Eagle Road doesn't function anywhere near the posted speed limit. Chinden doesn't function anywhere near that. From a Boise perspective, as compared to the rest of the region, and I'm just speaking as a Boise citizen for this, it's where we have to express our values as a city. Do we want to make it easier for people from Meridian, CUNA, Nampa, Eagle to commute through our city to the detriment of that safety? Or do we want to find a balance? And I think where we get into conversations of the city and ACHD and ITD, we need to be able to have those frank conversations and debate it and decide it and not just say, hey, in the year 2045, we think we're going to have 50,000 cars a day on State Street and we must accommodate them no matter what, because that can be detrimental to the things we say we want as a city in Boise, whether it comes to quality of life, climate change, walking and biking. Well, Don, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. If you enjoyed the show, check out our Hey Boise newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more local stories from around the city. Bye. Bye.